Hoffa day, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of GQ. I'm Julius Caesar Santis. I got a very special guest in studio this evening, and it's uh, to continue the conversation that we had last uh, regarding the Catholic Church. I had Tim Rohr on last time, and uh, in preparing for tonight's interview, I wanted to do some research specifically on the subject of suffering, and specifically when it comes to the, the Christian beliefs, the, the Catholic beliefs in suffering. Uh, one individual that I listen to a lot especially when it comes to psychology, is Mr., I should say, Dr. Jordan Peterson. And I really love the way he explains suffering. He talks about the, the axiomatic Western individual and how, with respect to Catholicism, and now this is where I'm kind of injecting my interpretation of what he's saying, the axiomatic Western individual is unfairly nailed to a cross. And he just keeps it very concise like that. And so what does that mean? The idea is you pick up your suffering and you move forward and you try to be the best individual that you can, not for anybody else, but for yourself. Because the idea is that, and what I believe, is that people are not inherently good. You know? And even if you look at it from an evolutional standpoint, our reptilian brain is the, is the oldest part of our brain, and that's like the basic necessities. Eat, breed, you know, survive. And as we evolved over time... Now we have the cerebral cortex, the frontal part of our brain. That's where we have our, you know, the strongest part of our consciousness, where we're aware of, of who we are and, and, and the actions uh, that, that we take based on the choices that we make. And, so, and I'm not saying people are bad, but I'm saying we are inherently bad when, when the Bible says we are born into sin. right? And so everybody around us, thankfully, thank God, we're all doing our best to be the best individuals that we can. Nobody's perfect. Um, myself included, and I've got a long laundry list of sins that I'm still trying to scrub clean, if you will. And so with that said, when we talk about suffering and we talk about how it's important to be strong enough to, to pick up your cross, to, to bear the suffering that you've endured, uh, because nobody else can, can do that for you. You can seek solace, you can seek comfort in others, but at the end of the day, you're the only person that can fully deal with what it is that you've experienced. And so the, the individual that I've invited tonight has done just that in a way that is not only inspiring, but it's, it's also important. So with me today is Mr. Walter Denton, and I'll go ahead and let you kind of explain what you've been through briefly, and then we can kind of discuss everything as thoroughly as we can. Mr. Denton. Yes, how are you doing, Julius? I'm doing great, thank you. And again, thank you. I'm, I'm grateful for your time, and I'm grateful that, uh, that you want to share your story. I think it's very important. Well, I appreciate you having me here uh, this evening. You know, you, you mentioned a lot uh, from the opening of the, your podcast. And, uh, you know, like you said, there is there's a lot of people out there that um, have a lot of demons. And, you know, they're fighting each day, you know, going through life as they get up in the morning, you know. Um, to me, I think they're trying to do good now. And they're always looking ways to better themselves um but then again you know we all have our skeletons you know in the closet um but you know everything that i've been through um it's it was very difficult going through um what i experienced uh from the moment that um i was raped um it's something that um you know, that is something that you would never forget. And 
you know, each each day I, um, you know, I had to find a way to uh, pick up myself every morning. Um, even as a child, man, I, you know, I, I look for excuses just to get through each day. Um, but as a child, uh, going through middle school, seventh grade, you know, on up, um, you know, I, I zoned out, you know, just sitting in class, I'm listening to the teachers, um, trying to explain what's going on in class or whatever subject I'm, we're, you know, we're in. Um, but each day, man, I, I literally zone out. Um, so that uh, really affected me um, in my grades, you know. Um, I mean, I, personally, I think I'm a bright person. Um, at least I try to think I am. Um, but, you know, I, I find it really hard to kind of stay focused, you know, uh, growing up. Was there ever a point where you wanted to turn to, to violence or, or to drugs to, to escape the thoughts that would just, you know, that were just always on your mind? I mean, having experienced something traumatic like that, having the innocence of your innocence, essentially, and, and uh, taken away from you like that? Um, I may have thought about something like that, but, you know, growing up with a uh, very strict father, you know, my dad, um, my parents divorced a long time ago when mm -hmm. I was, you know, young, but uh, it was kind of hard, you know, living in a house with a very strict parent, so... Right. Kind of, kind of kept me focused, and uh, you know, of course, you know, being scared right. kind of helped. You know, yeah, kept yeah. me in the right path, you know. Um, but yes, I, you know, not not to the point where I wanted to go out and you know uh, rob somebody or right. vandalize someone's car. But um, growing up, you know, I hung out with friends that uh, I felt that. Um, I just had to get away or do something. So, you know, we all, we all take that opportunity to, you know, take that little joint, you know, with typical mischief, T stuff. typical mischief. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that's the, the worst I've ever mm. done, you know, is taking a puff, you know, but, um, but no, I, I never kind of, I never, you know, went out there, wanted to do some, you know, bad stuff. No. What was your, I mean, after after the incident, how did you feel about the church after that? How did you feel about God? Did you question God? Did you get angry with God? Oh, of course I did. Um, yeah, I was. I was angry. I was. I was. I, I was pissed. Um, you know, I of course I turned to God and I said, "Why? Why did this happen to me?" You know. Um, but it was, it was a priest that I stopped believing in, mm. you know, I used to think, you know, I look at a priest and he represented, you know, Jesus, right. you know, I mean, he wore the cloth, you know, 
And uh, he's the individual that you turn to. He's like, you know, uh, extended extended version of, of Jesus, you right. know? So that's the person that you look up to. He's the one that you worship, literally worship. I mean, back in the day, yes, the older folks, you know, um, they worship the priest. There's a lot of emphasis on exactly. On the priest, yeah. I mean, they really worship the ground they walk they walked on, and you know, it was all about the priest. You know, you don't talk bad about the priest. You right. don't. You know, you just don't do that. That was a no no. You don't do that. Right. But. Um, the way I felt about the priest, man, it being at a very young age, it it opened up my eyes, and I just saw the priest as just another man. I didn't see God, I didn't see Jesus in the priest mm-hmm. anymore. And the way I look at a priest, I didn't see him as a priest. I just saw a man standing up there, wearing, you know, um, you the know, fancy robes and the, the fancy robes and everything, yeah. you know. Um, but that was it. Um, I stopped from that, from that day. Well, I stopped going to church, but, um, after that happened to me, I, I went to mass when Father Aperone wasn't giving mass, Mm. you know, it's whatever times. Right. But at that time, um, I quit. Uh, I, I quit the altar boy. Mm. I, I quit serving. Mm. Um, I only went to mass because my dad went to mass. Right. But then my dad stopped going. But um, I had to make excuses, you know. Um, so I hung around the church. I went to a mass different times, you know. Yeah. And then I went home. And then um, eventually, I just stopped going to mass because my dad just. Never asked about the altar boys or mm. or anything like that. And you said he stopped going to, to church as well. I, I just quit going to church. I just didn't believe in the church. Um, right. I didn't believe in the priest anymore. He was just another man in a in a holy cloth, wearing the holy cloth. Yeah. I'm curious, did your dad ever say why uh, he stopped going to church? No, fortunately, he didn't ask. Um, I think... Uh, him being busy with work, mm. working overtime, uh, trying to support uh, four four kids. He's a single single parent, right? So, um, no, he uh, he didn't ask anymore. I uh, I make excuses. I'm going to church. You know, I would lie to my dad. Sorry, dad, but um, I would lie to my dad. Right. Tell him that I'm going to church. Well, I mean, because that was the that was the schedule, that was the routine that you guys had. And so you didn't want to rise, raise suspicion with him. And Correct. you were just trying to figure out as a child, how do I keep this facade going, but not have to be around there. Uh, Correct. That's a heavy burden to have to deal with. I mean, just, I, and that's what I wanted to ask was how did it affect the family, your family dynamics, your, the way you interacted, the way you engaged your family then? I was, um, the way it affected me was uh, I, uh, I was more to myself. Mm. Um, I kept to myself. I really didn't talk about the church anymore. I didn't talk about the altar boys. Uh, um, you know, um, my brother Mike. Uh, he was he was young. He's younger than me, um, so he was you know part of the altar boy crew. Right. Um, so I got him to join, but. 
at that time when I quit, I made sure that my brother might quit. Stop going as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was my way of protecting him mm -hmm. because I wanted to make sure that nothing happened to him. And over the course of time, so we're kind of like jumping forward. Here. Sure. Um, you know, coming out and everything. You know, my family members, especially my sister and my brother Mike, you know, they kind of they kind of looked at me like, no wonder. Mm. You know, I said, no wonder you you quit going out the board because I always wondered why you quit out the board. Right. So, kind of everything. You know, came. Uh, it all made sense it, to them it, after it, all these years, right? And hearing exactly. that story, like I can't imagine all the pieces of the puzzle just fell into place in their, in their minds and in their hearts. And um, it's a great thing that they supported you in that because you know sometimes that really destroys families, and especially in Guam with the Mamalao factor, and people don't want to talk about, you know, terrible issues, whatever they may be, within their family. It's almost like you know, certain families would rather keep it a secret and not deal with it because it's going to supposedly ruin the reputation, you know. And, it, uh, to a lot of people, you know, it's it's embarrassing. Yeah. You know, um, people coming out, you know, they're afraid of, you know, what people are going to think about them and, you know. Yeah, you're right. And I think it's unfortunate that that word is at the forefront of of deeply... Um, I can't think of the word, deeply just terrible events that people and families go through. And when the family does not want to discuss it because of the word embarrass, you know, it's embarrassing. And that's really the wrong word. That's not accurate. You know, it's, there was somebody in your family who was victimized terribly. And rather than seeking justice, and finding a, figuring out a, a way to resolve the issue because it's so painful and difficult to seek justice. And you see that in, in, particularly in rape cases, you know, where that individual, if that individual wants justice, they have to be willing to stand up for themselves and put themselves out there. And when you don't have the support of your family, it can be incredibly, like you probably just wouldn't even do it. You know, you're, you're afraid that people aren't going to believe you, and especially in your case, you know, it being Father Aperon at the time, uh, the former archbishop, how do you come out and speak against that? You know, just like you said, the Manumka puts so much emphasis on the priest. It's almost like putting the priest before Jesus and God. Um, and so you, you told your family, they said, finally, it, you know, it all makes sense. Uh, if, you, if you don't mind, I want to backtrack a little bit. At what point, as you were growing up, were you able to kind of face the daily life, you know, much more, um, I guess, I, at, at what point as you were growing up, did you ever find kind of like a, a inner peace that allowed you to kind of just live your life? Or was it just always there? Was it always nagging at you? It, it was hard to find peace. Uh, no, um, it was right there, and you know, right in front of me every morning. It's something that um, it's something I had to deal with every day of my life, and 
you know, and it, it affected me in every possible way. And I, you know, especially in school. Mm. I mean, you look at my grades, man. It's um, very mediocre. You know, it's just, you know, it's not. I'm I'm not proud of my grades. Um, and it, it was just hard. It, it was hard uh, dealing with dealing with the daily and. And I did my best putting a front, you know, with all my friends, my classmates, and, um, but it, it was, it was extremely hard just dealing with it. And it's just me finding excuses, um, you know, just, just to get by each day, um, but it, it, it was just hard. I, I can tell, I mean, just looking at you now, it's almost as though as you, as you try to articulate what you went through, there's this look on your face as though it's like you're not even here right now when you're talking about it, you know? And I'm not saying, you know, I'm glad you can smile about it. I'm definitely not trying to make a joke about it. But, I mean, is that, am, am I kind of right when you're second, you know? No, you, 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 you're right. Um, I just went right back into that moment of what happened to me and, you know, um, so, and, and that's the place where I always end up is it's like people can talk to me and I, I would zone out and I'm going into this, into this area, this gray area of, um, of it's like abuse, you know, it's like I'm reliving it. Yeah. And. You know, it's when someone brings up a subject of um, like a sexual abuse or something, you know, uh, close to that. Right. You know, um, it, it automatically brings me right back to that moment. Mm. It's like I, I relive it. Right. And I mean, I'm sitting here and I can just relive everything that's happening to me exactly what he's doing to me you know it's vivid detail it's all there yes yeah and you know know, if there's anybody out there that's maybe skeptical if you were sitting here and if you were talking to mr denton right now and i've i've been in theater i've been in acting and there's really no way that you can fake what you are experiencing right now in front of me it's very surreal you know what i mean i can see it in your face that you're when you say that you're reliving everything in your mind, um, anybody that goes through any kind of traumatic experience, especially if you're listening, whenever something triggers that traumatic experience and you relive it in your mind, just imagine, you know, what Mr. Denton and the others, uh, the other victims like him uh, had to go through. And so that's kind of, you know, one place where we can all, I guess, come together and, and, and uh, appreciate the fact that you're still here um, as difficult as your life was, as much suffering as you had to bear, you know, you've brought yourself forward to where you are now. Um, when I interviewed you at the Rotary Club of Guam, you know, you, you talked about um, the first time that you kind of uh, said it out loud and you were at a party and you had a relative who actually mentioned it. Would you tell us about that? Yes. Um, 
so we were we were at my uh my mom's uh my mom's brother had passed away mm-hmm. so I, was, I came back here to be with my mom and so other relatives flew back from california and so during uh we had the um the viewing uh that one that one day um so it was during the time when we had the viewing so after meeting and greeting all of the um a lot of the friends you know came by to show their support uh um after a couple of hours just meeting and greeting the folks, uh, we decided to all go outside and get a drink and get something to eat and just kind of sit down and just, you know, just rest for a moment. Um, so we were kind of sitting in a group. Um, everyone was kind of kind of having their sidebar conversations. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of sitting off to, to the side by myself, you know, just thinking about whatever. And... Um, uh, so my cousin was talking to another person, and apparently they they used to be in a seminary here in Guam. Okay. Okay. Um. So my cousin he mentioned that he was molested by Aperon, and when I heard Aperon's name. I immediately just turned around and looked at them, and I told him. I just kind of blurted. It just came out, right. you know. And there's probably about maybe eight of us. Mm-hmm. They're just sitting around, and I just I looked at him, and I told him. I said, "Aperone raped me." They all stopped what they were doing. They all stopped talking. They all turned to me, and they just. They just stared at me, like in disbelief. Like, right. What? You know? And I said, yes, he raped me. And from that moment, from that time, that's the moment that totally changed my mind. It changed my direction in life of what I wanted to do with, um, in regards to exposing Aperone. Mm. That was the moment that I decided that I'm going to go come out and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get him exposed for what he did to me. And and I know I had no clue what I was going to do. Right. Um, you just knew what you needed to do, what you I, wanted to do. Yeah. Ex- exactly. So I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And from that, from that day, um, that was uh, the following Monday... Um, I decided to uh, to seek help, and one of my good friends, one of my best friends, you know, took me to um, to an attorney and said, "Hey, let's just go over here and see what he, you know, what he can do for us or give us some guidance." And, right. You know, and the guidance he gave me was that you're going to have to go off island. You cannot go to Aperon, but of course you can because he is. The nuncio, right? He yeah. is in charge of Guam. So I would have to go to someone who's over him. And that person that's over him is Archbishop Krebs. So from that moment, from that time, um, you know, certain individuals um, got in contact with me. They heard about my message of what I wanted to do, what happened to me, and 
word just got around. Mm. And so there's just another individual that um, got wind of it from one of my other cousins toward this individual and you know and I was kind of skeptical uh, you know trying to you know I, I didn't trust anyone of course there's only I can imagine there's only a couple of people that I, I kind of trust at that time and so I finally kind of broke down I said okay you know you know give him my name give him my phone number and you know I'll talk to him and sure enough you know, this is the individual, and I don't want to say his name. Sure, that's fine. You know, um, you don't have to. He uh, he actually gave me all the information I needed. Uh, he got a hold of uh, Archbishop Cripps, mm-hmm. and you know, gave me the phone number, his address, and he told me uh, basically he said you need to sit down, and you need to write your statement, and this needs to be sent to him now like yesterday so one day at work I just sat down in my office and for three hours straight I just I just started typing and I didn't stop right. I mean it just when I was typing my statement it just flowed and by the time I was finished at the end I was like you know I stopped and I kind of s- sat back in my chair and looked at my statement and it was you know, three to four pages long. Right. And um, so my statement was in detail for Archbishop Krebs to hand carry to the Vatican. Mm-hmm. And he took my statement directly to the Vatican and gave it to uh, to the Pope himself. And from from that moment, man, that was where I kind of wondered after I sent my statement to... Archbishop Krebs, you know, two, three months had passed. Mm. And I wondered, you know, I'm driving home. Now, keep in mind, I'm, I'm living in Arizona at the time. Okay. So I'm driving home and, you know, you, you're, going through, you, you're going through, you're thinking about literally everything and anything after a two-hour drive, you know. Right. And uh, I get this uh, phone call from... Archbishop or Bishop Olmsted from Phoenix. And okay. he told me basically, uh, you know, my name is uh, Bishop Olmsted. I've been assigned by uh, by the Vatican, by the Pope, to hear your story. And, you know, from that, from that day, speaking to Arch, uh, Archbishop or Bishop Olmsted, um, you know, I think that was where it really started because he's the one that interviewed me and reported directly to the Pope saying that I believe his story. Right. His story is credible. Right. And I think without Bishop Olmsted, with, without him saying that, I don't think uh, it would have went any farther than that. Right. I, I honestly believe that the Vatican would probably just sweep everything under the rug I don't know. I want to go back to when you were writing your story. Um, because, again, when we go through a traumatic experience, particularly with uh, respect to a rape, it's something that there's almost like a sense of denial in, in that you don't want to accept it or acknowledge it. 
despite the fact that it happened and it haunts you every day. And I don't know if, if I'm making sense right now, um, but for you to actually write it out in detail, what was that experience like when you, like you said, when you sat back and just looked at it and you looked at the words that you wrote and you essentially were telling yourself, this is what happened to me. What was that experience like? You know, Julius, uh, when I'm sitting there just writing down or not writing, but typing down everything in detail, every, every step of the wave, I was reliving it. And there are many times just sitting there within that two or three hours, I was crying, man. Mm. I was break. I just broke down and I was reliving every episode of what he did to me and I was just writing it down what he was doing at the same time I'm crying and it it killed me man it hurt but I had to just keep going because I wanted to I wanted the Pope I wanted him to know what this guy did to me Mm -hmm. If anyone was going to listen, I was praying, you know, I was praying to God that someone in the Vatican was going to listen to what I had to say. And yes, I was praying. I, you know, to this very day, you know, I I haven't lost my Catholic faith, you know. Um, I'm still struggling, you know, to go to Mass and watch the priest give Mass, you know. And so I still struggle with that because I, I don't see a priest. I, I, I just see another man. I just see a man standing up there. But that still doesn't mean that um, I don't believe in my faith. Right. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. But But I have to keep telling myself that not every priest is like that. Correct. You know, there are great ones, there are good ones out there that's doing the right thing. And and I think that's why I I go to church mm-hmm. is because I want to believe that, that this priest up there, you know, right. who represents Jesus is doing the right thing. I think you and I share that in that... Um when we see a priest, we see a man, and it's it's not to be disrespectful. Yours comes from, you know, that that violation of the innocence. Um, however, I think it's important that you bring that up because if you are worshiping the priest, your faith is not properly pra- placed. The priest is there to guide us through the mass. He is there to help lead us on the right path. But the actual faith, the actual worship is in God and in his son, Jesus, right? His son, Jesus. And I used to actually resent, and I'm not, forgive me if I'm, you know, I'm not trying to make this about me, but what I'm trying to do is create a connection here uh, with us and how we look at the faith. I used to resent coming into church, looking at Jesus on the cross suffering, you know, because the word comes up guilt, I'm like, why do Catholics always have to feel guilty? And again, that's not accurate. Just like when families are concerned about 
scandals or, or something that happened in their family and they don't want to be embarrassed. That's not accurate. It's not about that. And it's not about feeling guilty. The reason that I came to understand is why is, why is Jesus suffering on the cross right in front of our face? It's to remind us that we're not the only ones dealing with whatever issues we are in life. And um, with Jesus, he willingly accepted it. And I'm not saying that somebody has to accept the fact that something bad happened to them. It's accepting the fact that it happened to you, period. And there's nothing that can be done to change it. The only thing that you have the power to do is to move forward. And what are you willing to do to engage that suffering in order to find peace within it, right? And so finally, that moment when your cousin said that, you know, he was molested and instinctually you just blurted out, Aperon raped me. I, I think that was the part of you that was always searching for a way to find a resolve to find peace with that and so that was the first step that was the first connection then you wrote that letter you had to relive it like really relive it you know by typing it out and then the next step was you had to tell your story right to to the bishop in Arizona in Phoenix so there's these steps that you're taking as you as you pick up your cross and you know when you said you were praying to God it was it, it struck me because you're still praying to him and it also filled me with, with joy and, and with hope because you, you haven't lost your faith. You understand where it needs to be directed. Um, because when I go to church and the priest is leading the Mass, I'm listening to him, but at the same time, I'm talking to God. Right? And Absolutely. I'm, and I'm talking to Jesus. Um, and so you've gotten to that, that point where the Pope essentially acknowledged what the uh, what was his name the bishop in phoenix a uh, bishop olmstead bishop olmstead essentially you know um said your story was credible and he believes you and so the pope said okay and so it moves forward where did, where did it go from there from that time um uh i had a, I had a couple more meetings with uh, bishop olmstead mm. and um i pretty much uh had other things scheduled for me uh, when I came back to Guam. Like, um, we had that press conference. Of course. Um, so things were pretty much online for me uh, when I get back to Guam. We had certain things lined up. Um, prior to me going out, coming out here to Guam, I gave Bishop Olmstead pretty much my itinerary of, you know, because he did ask me, uh, are you going back home? I said, yes, I am. Um I told him that we have a press conference scheduled for, I, th I think it was April 7th, see, April, May 7th. And so with me giving him my itinerary, um, when I flew back to Guam, apparently they flew Aperon the day before. So when I landed, he was, Aperon was actually leaving. Right. And, and I think, um, because they knew that I was coming out to give my press conference, they didn't want him here. Mm. You know, I guess to me they're removing him from the island to um, eliminate um, confrontation or anything that April might want to come out and say, like okay. he did with Rory when Rory uh, gave his press conference. How April came back with a video conference, you know, uh, denying what he you know what Roy said and I think they were trying to avoid that 
from that happening again. Okay. You know, um, but it, it was to me, it's um, you know, the, Va- the Vatican did listen, and and I think from that time they were, they were taking some steps, and I think uh, you know, there's a lot of things that like Tim Rohr said, you know, really got me thinking about looking at the picture now. You know, it's a bigger picture, mm. you know. So Tim actually painted a a larger picture and it's a little bit clearer of what was transpiring, why certain individuals were put in place when Aperon was removed. Right. You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, but... I mean, <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. I I wanted to ask, and you don't have to name any names, yes or no. You know, when when you held your press conference, did individuals reach out to you uh, anonymously to say, "Hey, this happened to me too." You know, um, prior prior to me coming out, we did everything we could to um, to get my statement, what I wrote to the Vatican, out to whoever. Mm-hmm. We, we, we kind of, you know, they kind of pinpointed some altar boys and they shared my story. I mean, my story is out there. Right. I mean, you know, it's... But when I, when I wrote my statement and sent it to the Vatican, um, they heard about my, me coming out, writing to the Vatican. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to take my story and try to find out if there's any more altar boys out there right. and and of course you know one of them was uh, Roland um, I mean everyone knows Roland right. um, so Roland was kind of I mentioned in I initially mentioned him in my statement and I used his initials RS mm-hmm. and I because I didn't at that time, I didn't ask permission to use his name, so I right. had to use his initials. So no one knows, you know, uh, his name. So, and people were trying to figure out who was R.S. Who was R.S. So, you know, uh, one of the guys that was um, one of the supporters uh, found out. You know, he's kind of more like R.S. R.S. and kind of met him in a weird way at work and you know Roland turned around and you know yeah hi my name is Roland Sandia and you know the the individual that was pretty much like one of the key players in getting stuff together right. or organizing just kind of clicked then just kind of clicked like RS and then he approached Roland and I said do you know Walter Denton and you know and that's where it all started right. where we started to get my story out and that's how we found out about Roy uh, he read my story and he said I was raped too it happened to me too and slowly that's how you know the word got out right. and it just happened that Roy was on island he gave his uh, you know his uh, his press conference I was still back in Arizona. So slowly, you know, things were coming out and people were listening to us. So 
when they saw us come out with, in the press conference, it, it kind of, it really helped, you know, get the word out. And it, it was basically just, you know, I, I think it was a shock for a lot of people Absolutely. Here, here in Guam. Absolutely. I, yes. I, I really believe it was, people were, were really in shock. Um, but I want to give credit to John Tovis. Because he initially came out, but you know, no one, no one believed him because mm. he was coming out for his cousin. Mm. But when I came out, I heard about John Tovis, and I talked to John Tovis, and you know, and I, I thanked him for coming out. But I told him, I said, you know, the problem that you had was that you're coming out for your cousin. You know, it's a big, it's a big difference here. You know, it's your word against, you know, um, it's all hearsay. Right. And I told him, I said, your cousin has to come out. But, you know, I still go back to the point where I give John Torres credit because he did come out to, you know, to let the people of Guam know. He was willing to, to take that risk. He, he did. Know. He took that risk. Yeah. And... You know, unfortunately, um, I came out a little too late because, you know, Aperon was there and he pretty much shut down John Tovis with his attorneys. Right. You know, especially because, like you said, John was a third party kind of advocate where he's coming out. It wasn't exactly him. So it's a little bit more difficult to if it were if he were the actual victim it would be a lot more difficult to get him to be quiet exactly you know, he's, it's all like you said it's all hearsay another interesting aspect about you know when when you gentlemen decided to to no longer keep this terrible secret that you were hiding you know about this individual who who just maliciously violated the trust of the entire island at that point cuz he's a bishop but at when he was a priest in you know, the congregation, there were men that I spoke to because you know this was a topic of conversation, clearly right uh, who didn't believe it, and I get if there's a level of skepticism um, but really the, from their standpoint it was they just want money, they just want money, and so I asked them a very simple question I said, first of all, for any rape victim to come out is very difficult. Right, because again, if you want justice, you have to expose this violation of your, of your innocence, this violation of your your privacy, your sanctity, and and not to diminish rape that happens to women because that's equally as terrible. But for a man to come out and say, "I was violated," I asked him that question. I said, "Do you think a man would sell his masculinity that cheaply just to just because they think they can get money from a church?" And they couldn't respond to that, you know. And so I said, sure, when it comes to, you know, the entire scandal that happened on this island, you know, the almost 200 cases, 147, something like that, perhaps there's a small percentage of men who are that low who would, you know, just who would lie so terribly just to get some money. But, um, you know, when, again, it's not to diminish rape that happens to women, but when I see a man come out, I, I can't imagine what it must be like from that perspective, you know, um, 
again, for any rape victim to come out, but then for a man to come out and say, yes, I was violated. Because it's emasculating to say that. And most men are too prideful to do that. That's, that's a weakness that we have within us, you know. Um, so have you experienced any kind of backlash in that way where people come at you and, you know, just calling you liar this or... No, um, actually, you know what, um, initially within the first, maybe the first six months, uh, you know, you know, Tim Roar has this, um, you know, this program called, um, you know, uh, called the Jungle Watch. Yeah. So people were, uh, tuning in and writing down their comments about, you know, why why are these guys coming out now? Why mm. didn't they come out a long time ago, you know, when this happened to them? That was another question. Like, why didn't they come out back then? It's but you know what? If, yeah. if they only just stop for a moment and read, read my statement, because they, they came back. They came back at me like that. You know, they, right. they, they asked that question. Why, why is he coming out now? I said, well, you know what? If they just stop for a moment, you know, and stop thinking, you just stop for a moment and just read my statement, and you clearly tell the individual that, yes, I did come out. I did try to get some help when it first happened. I went to another priest, you know, and and Roland Sandia was there with me when uh, I found out it happened to him. And so I'm like, um, hey, we need to go tell, you know, we need to go tell Father Jack. You know, Father Jack Nealon, he was, he was the priest that, that I went to. Um, but of course, you know, it, it was just, uh, you know, he just kind of, kind of blew it, just kind of blew it off. When he, oh, you know, you, well, boys, you know, priesthood is the lonely life. You know, that's it, quote unquote. That's something I'll never forget, man. But I, you know, but I, I, I still respect Father Jack, even though, yes, someone did come out and made a claim against him. You know, um, it's just it's unfortunate, um, and it's you know. I don't know what to believe to be to be honest with that, um, but it, it, it was hard when when I heard about Father Jack. Um, but I know that he felt bad, you know, when I did when I did reach out to him. But you know, just getting back to some of the folks, um, I I did try to get some help. And when no one was there to listen and growing up with back back in the day, you know, they pretty much worshipped the ground that the priest walked on. You know, yeah. that's yeah. that's that's life. That's mm-hmm. how it was back in the you know, back in the seventies. Right. You know? So yeah, I mean I I can I can understand how people um have their doubts. And they're skeptical about, you know, what what's what's transpired. But, you know what, um, it 
it did happen, you know, and it's and it's still happening to this very day, mm. you know, and but yeah, I, I I did get a little backlash about that. I think some people might be, um, I don't know if protective is the right word, of the church because of all of the the jokes and the anecdotes about priests, you know, being whatever rapists, molesters, and and how the Catholic Church is. I mean, essentially, when I hear criticism about the Catholic Church, it's oh, it just you know, it's a bunch of priests who you know, want to rape their, their congregation. And, you know, they, they kind of label the church like that. And, uh, I've been asked, you know, what, what do you say to defend the church? And I've asked that same question and it's really, it's the church is not immune to evil. The, the church, when I say the church, I mean the institution that is, that was developed and sustained by human beings, you know, we're all fallible, right? And that's a constant challenge that we face every day until the day that we die. And so when, when we talk about the afterlife and, and how, you know, we're, we, we do the best that we can in this life so that we can be with God in the next, it's not, again, it's not to deny anything that's happening in the real world. And, and I say, like I said earlier, for, for those individuals who violate, that's like the ultimate violation of trust. When, because like you said, people, and that probably didn't help when they worshiped the ground that the priest walked on. Because even in the 80s, it was like that when I was growing up. I was an altar server too with Father Patrick. This was in San Roque in Saipan. And then, you know, when I moved back to Guam after high school, I found out he's up here in Zotnia. Uh, and he was strict, he was stern, but he was a good man. Yeah. You know, I remember one time we were taking his his um because he took care of us right he was he came from guam he was a different kind of priest and he was much younger than the priest we had before and so he was very cool kind of like a cool guy right yeah we we took that for granted and the altar boys we were kind of talking during mass and we ended up laughing and i remember it was so embarrassing but he stopped his homily he looked back at us and he said well the altar boys please be quiet oh man I got a whooping so bad for my parents when we got home that day. Because <laughs> when you talk about embarrassing the family, that's embarrassing the family, you know? When, 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 when your boy does, or your girl does something stupid in the community like that. Um, and so I, I totally get what you say when, when there's so much emphasis on the priest. But I, I think it's important for people to know, uh, Catholic or not, that that's, that's not where our faith is. It's not focused on the priest because they're fallible too. And, you know, they take that, they're supposed to take that vow of celibacy when they, when they get into there. And if they can't maintain that, you know what I mean? It's not God's fault. It's not the church's fault. When you ask God, and this is something that was the subject of a conversation over the weekend, was why did you let this happen, God? You know, and there's this misunderstanding of people who are not Christian in general and, and, and particularly Catholic. God doesn't let bad things happen, right? God gave us life. And he gave us free will. What does that mean? That means he's not controlling us. And if we're trying to be with God, we have to choose to follow him. This is the way I interpret it. No, you know, you're, you're hitting a lot of good points right there. And I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Mm. We have to choose to follow him. And the evil that happens are the choices made by human beings who were granted free will, who do not choose to follow God, and who succumb to 
their evil thoughts, who succumb to their demons, so to speak. You know, like, oh, what, you know, whether you're thinking demons like actually from hell, from the devil, or when people say, you know, you've got demons you need to, to work on or you need to confront. It's that. Um, in the ancient times, people would say, when you get angry, they would say you've become possessed by anger. It's not I'm getting angry, it's I'm becoming possessed by anger. And so that kind of, in a way, was a metaphor for, you know, the demons. You're allowing them to come into you and to control you. You are becoming a slave to your base desire, which are your emotions. And without getting too confusing here, it's, okay, so priests are fallible. They're human beings. They are choosing to violate the trust and to violate the innocence of their victims. Right. And, And to continue to put on this facade because they think that they can get away with it. But when somebody like you comes out and then the other victims who come out and they're coming out in droves, and I think that's a, when I say it's a great thing, it sounds so bad because it's, what's happening is terrible, but it's important for individuals like yourself to come out and say, hey, look, this is happening. We don't like it. We need to put a stop to it. I don't want anybody else to be a victim. I don't want anybody else to have to go through what I went through. It's simultaneously sending a message to any individual out there who may be a priest or may be aspiring to be a priest like don't think that you can get away with these kind of things don't think that this is a club that you can join exactly you know they're full of victims you know when i look at the same i look at the boy scouts the same way it's so terrible because these are great you know the church is a great institution whether you know because some people mock it it's like oh you believe in this spaghetti monster in in the sky it's like well first of all you're inaccurately portraying god but what do you believe in you know if you don't believe in anything, how do you find a, a focal point for, you know, for, for all of the, like I said, it, with respect to the Catholic Church, it's, it's teaching you that life is suffering, but not that you have to suffer. It's you accept that it is and you become strong enough to deal with it so you can find peace in your heart. And when I look at you, when I walked in to the studio and you're standing, that's what I saw. I saw a man who has found peace in his heart, who still has these you know, experiences and these memories who has this suffering that he carries, but you have strong enough to live the life that you live now to the level of normacy that you do. And going beyond that, you're being productive by getting this story out there to be a part of this movement, to purge this, this evil, not only from the church, but from all the institutions, from, from public schools. When we look at the Guam public school system and, you know, how many criminal sexual conduct cases, you know, go on there it's it's not exclusive to the church, but for some reason the church no, it, has been this this you know it's easy to pick on them, and you know as Catholics it's like I don't I don't accept that anymore. It's like any institution is is susceptible to these things that happen, and so you know going back to you and and uh, looking at you retelling your story and almost being able to get a glimpse feel a glimpse of what you went through you know because it was it was it was difficult to watch you just just talk about it and moving forward when we had our discussion at uh, the rotary club of guam you know i mentioned perhaps you can start a support group you know for for individuals like yourself and i know that might be a difficult thing but i'm i'm, I'm sure that there are some men out there you know some gentlemen out there who are like yes you know let's let's find a place where we can all discuss not to discuss the terrible things that happened to us, but more so to discuss how we're, how were each of you individually able to cope with this and how can you help one another find different ways to, to, to deal with it. And then not only that, but you will now have created an organization where individuals who might be victims 
don't know where to go, but now they know exactly where to go, remain anonymous, at least to the point to where they can find the strength to stand up and say, yes, this happened to me. This is the individual that did it, and we want to put an end to it. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, absolutely. Um, you know, j- just let me just go back um, to a point where, you know, you, you mentioned about you know, the choices that we make, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I've made some terrible ones, man. <laughs> you know what? Um, you, I, I think you're doing great. You know, I mean, you got your own show and, you know, it's, it's it says a lot about you, you know. Thank you. Um, but to go back, you know, we all, we all make choices. Mm-hmm. And the choices that we make you know, it's going to affect you in in a way where it's either good or it's going to be bad. But, you know, like I always tell my, um, my kids, um, you know, think, think about it. I say, if you think it's wrong, even just a little bit, if you think it's wrong, then it's wrong, mm. you know. Yeah. And I, I talk to them every single day before they walk out that door to go play with their friends, right. to be respectful when they go to someone's, to uh, one of their friends' families' homes, you know. And, but, you know, Julius, we, a lot of folks out there make bad choices. It's because, you know, they thought about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something that it just happens. If you make a bad choice and and it's you know something that's gonna hurt someone, it's because that's you've been thinking about it mm. and you act on it. Yeah, you know. So you know, coming back to helping people, um, it's been weighing on me. I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, where I would. I would love to start a support group. You know, I want, I would love for people to reach out, uh, reach out to me or, you know, where they can, the support group that I want to start, you know, is, and I'm sure you've heard of this, two words, you know, healing hearts. Yes. You know, um, so I, I want to where, those people out there who are struggling, you know, with, you know, with the rape uh, or with the, you know, being, them being, you know, molested when they're children. Um, I wonder where I can help someone, where they can come out and talk about it, you know. Um, no one has to know. Right. You know. That's an important aspect of it, right. Um, so a co-worker of mine... Um, we kind of um, took a big chart, you know, and we kind of went down and we wanted to come up with an idea of how to get this thing started. Okay. And, you know, and, you know, first we just kind of took post-its and, you know, okay, write down the first, the first thing that comes to your mind, you know. Uh, the first part, I was thinking about, you know, I want it to be, um, you know, open. 
Okay. I wanted to be relaxing. I wanted where um, she was nice enough to send it to me uh, after we kind of did all the work on it. Um, it's called a Your Heart Organization. Mm. You know, it's Your Heart. You, nice. You know, so it's a little organizational chart that we came up with. And so we broke it down. We got the business side, and then we've got the outreach service mm. services. So one of the things that when, you know, if I can get this thing started, man, it's going to be great. Yeah. You know, reaching out to the folks and right. them calling in. And the you way know, you're talking about it, it's not just for victims of the church. It's any victim it's of any, any victim, any rape, man. any, any You know, it's yeah. not just it's not just for the rape victims, man. It, it's there's, there's so many people out there that need help. You know, and even teachers are doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, to to our children. Yeah. You know, and man, I I, I just I just wanted to stop so bad, man. Yeah. And the only way that we can stop this from happening is, you know, the victims to come out and say something. You don't have to come out and say something in public, but you can come out to this support group that I would I, I want to start, where you, you know you have a place to come to and you have a place to talk openly, right. openly. Right. You know, um, this is going to be an organization with others who have experienced at least something similar. Who, you know, who you can trust. Exactly, exactly. Who understand exactly what you have gone through. You know that. Different people, different experiences, but it's the same situation. And I think that's important. I think it's a great thing that you're doing this. I mean, I'm looking at the, the photo of, of the chart that you and your friend had created, and a lot of, it looks like a lot of work, a lot of thought went into that. We, we did. You know? We sat down probably for a good hour, and, you know, we thought about everything. And we wrote down all the words we can possibly think of on post-its, and then after we finished thinking about what we wanted, we kind of de- decipher. We kind of we put all the notes on different one for business. Yeah, you categorize them. Categorize yeah. on for business. It's very organized when I'm looking then, at it, honestly. Then for outreach services. Right. And, you know, most importantly, when I say the outreach services, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about it's going to be resourceful, you know, just learning, helpful. You know, it's time sensitive. It's private. It's free. Right. That's a big word. It's free. It's, you know, we want you to come out and, you know, talk to me, talk to us. Um, I'm not a professional counselor. I want to I make that very clear. Right. But, you know, I've, um, I've been through a lot and I've heard a lot of stories since I've been out. And, you know, I gave my opinion, my, my thoughts, gave my prayers to these folks. And, you know, and... It it really helped them, man. You know, it really helped them, and you know. Uh, but again, like I said, you know, it's it, I'm just trying to start something from right. scratch. Yeah, and I'm definitely gonna, you know, reach out to my uh, father Duenas uh, friends. Right on, <laughs> or hey, you guys out there. <laughs> honestly, uh, one you know? thing about that school that I really love is the the fraternal aspect of it. Yes, and how oh my god, uh, the graduating classes are are 
brothers for life and and it's extended out to the prior the you know the previous classes and and the classes that come after that i mean just look at the basketball tournament it's hosted by 10-year reunion classes yeah so there's this real real strong bond and people can say what they want about the school i think it's a i never went there but i have cousins who've gone there i have great friends who've gone there and all the stories i hear about it just wonderful and so You've got this great resource that you can tap into. You just called them out, FD boys. Yeah, you know Father Duenas, I mean? you know, uh, you guys are the one that make things happen on this island. I want to <laughs> tell you that right now. <laughs> if there's anything that I can do to help, at least on my end, you know, um, I'd love to, to do an update. And, and you know, as you, as you put this, this support group together, because I think it's a wonderful thing. I think it's, it's addressing an issue that is, and I don't want to say swept under the rug, but because people are so afraid to face it you know, in, in, within their families. And then not only that, but to step up and to face it publicly, because again, that's the only way that justice will take place. Justice will occur with these crimes is that that's the level you have to bring it to. You have to come out at some level publicly, right? They try to keep you anonymous. Like when we report the news, we use initials and we respect the individuals who ask us to only use that versus those who say, this is my name, go ahead and use it. Um, but all of these things need to happen, and, and your support group is like that first step that people can take, you know, towards the light in one regard and towards seeking justice in the other. Absolutely. By you guys coming out, you're taking the first step to healing, and and that's, you know, that's opening up your heart. You're you're you're, you're telling me, or you're telling us, you know, what happened to you. That's that is the first step, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but of course, this is all anonymous. It's you know, it's just this support group. Is, it's about you know keeping keeping it in the house and keeping it private. Right. But if you choose to go further with that, then I've got uh, contacts that will be there to support you in what you want to what you want to do. If you want to seek justice. I've got folks here that will help you out. Right. Um, but again, you know, it's um, this is something I want to start, and I'm not sure how. Um, is it okay if I give my phone number out? That's um, a, that's entirely up to you, and if you want to, please. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, if those of you who just want to talk, you don't have to give me your name, um, and those of you who want to reach out. Father Duenas, guys, there, if you guys want to reach out to me and kind of help me out and uh, give me a uh, point in the right direction, uh, mm-hmm. give me more guidance, please uh, give me a call at 787-7150. Uh, please, for, for you victims out there, if you just want to talk, uh, you know, please reach out to me. Just give me a call. I'm at 787-7150. I'll even put the uh, I'll put your phone number in the description of the podcast so that it'll be there. That'd be awesome. I mean? So I, that I, if they didn't catch it and whatever, you know how it is. We just we want to. If you're willing to put it out there, then I'll help you. I'll help provide that information for. And again, the the whole purpose of this is for healing and for individuals to find peace. That you know, seeking justice is the next level, and you're not forcing anybody to do that. I, your I, main goal is I'm, the main goal of your heart which is a great name for the organization, is to help people find healing, correct? Exactly. It's, it's not about seeking justice or going out after some individual, but this is, first step is to, you know, just tell someone your story, you know, 
get it off your chest. It's been eating you up. Just, you know, yeah. you have someone to talk to and I'm, I'm here for you. And, and I'm sure I'm hoping that uh, more folks want to, uh, want to call me and, you know, see what they can do to help me out. And, you know, and I'm going to do everything I can to get this thing started. I think you'll find that uh, you're going to receive a lot of help on this. And uh, I pray for that too, but I'm, I'm, I'm very positive that you will. Now, um, this is going to be, this is a, the same question, the same final question I asked you um, when I first interviewed you at the Rotary Club. But what is your message to those out there uh, who are committing these crimes, who are committing these sins? My message to you individuals who, who think you can get away with it, you won't. Because the victims that, the people that you are hurting, and all your victims that was hurt by this individual, please, please come out and say something. Because this is the only way you will stop this person from hurting anyone else. It's not your duty, it's not a job, but do it from the heart. Let's stop these people from hurting anyone else. I did what I had to do, and that was to stop a monster. But I didn't do it alone. I'm not taking any credit for what I did. It was a joint effort. It was the individuals who came out and spoke, and they were heard. And I want you to do the same thing. So you victims... Please, the first step is to say something. And that's the only way that we are going to stop these individuals. So all you individuals out there, you predators, you will get caught. I want to thank you, Mr. Denton, for coming on the show. Uh, most importantly, I want to thank you for being an advocate for these victims. And that's, I think that's truly what's needed for them to see that there is a way out of the torment and the suffering that they've been experiencing this whole time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for You're very having welcome. me here. I look forward to having you on the show again so we can get updates on, on the progress of uh, you putting together that support group, Your Heart. And um, for all of you listeners out there, thank you so much for taking the time to, to listen to Walter's story, to listen to me banter. This has been another episode of GQ. Remember, always stay the course. <laughs>